You know, no one has to leave as soon as service is over. You can continue this on for a little while. So, uh, great fellowship. Well, I, uh, my wife Lisa and I have been blessed to be uh, have very close friends for over 41 years. Uh, you know, when you have friendships like that, it's it's, it's God ordained. God does it. You know, and and uh, we've been blessed for yeah, we talked about 41 years uh, with this 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 couple, and um, uh, they've just been had a great impact on our lives, and we probably had an impact on their lives too, I guess. Um, Good or bad, you, you let them judge for that. But, um, but uh, uh, we we are just so blessed to have my pastor from Calvary Chapel, the High Desert, Pastor Dennis Davenport, out to share with us from God's Word this morning, and his wife Donna is here as well. So, if you would welcome with me, Pastor Dennis Davenport. Well, good morning. Good morning. I. Uh, how many of you were at the couples' dinner the other night? Okay. Well, you know, I realized I uh, failed to introduce my beautiful bride of 44 years and 16, uh, five children and 16 grandchildren later. And so um, she deserves the introduction because all, all of our children are walking with the Lord because she was a great mom when I was traveling around doing classes and everything. She's the one that kept everything together. The virtuous woman, he can, her, her husband can trust in her. And, uh, and so, why don't you stand up, Donna, and so they can see who you are. Not only is she virtuous, she's looking good. I definitely married up. Well, let's get out our Bibles and turn to Psalm 1. And, uh, while you're turning there, Tom and Lisa and, and Donna and I have been friends, and they have five children, and our children know each other very well, and uh, we we spent a lot of time together, and still when we uh, are uh, privileged to be able to come back here and, and see the family and see Tom's children and all, it's always a great time for us. And I think a few years ago, we actually all were able to come uh, and Laura's wedding, and so that was a great time. But it's exciting to see what God is doing here in Missouri. I mean, it's just, I'm so blessed to see this church is just growing and expanding, and and uh, you're building a building, and uh, to be able to continue to reach more people, and it's just such a, a joy to see what God is doing and how faithful he's been as uh, Tom has simply just simply taught the Word of God. Uh, nothing like verse by verse, Scripture by Scripture, to know the Word of God and know, not just teaching, a lot of pastors teach from the Bible, but a lot don't teach the Bible. And that's the problem many times. And so we are going to get into the Bible. You're in Psalm 1. Did I say that already? My age, you know, I'm 72. I'm starting to lose a little bit, but um, my wife says you've lost a lot. But anyhow, I, um, the title of my message is Singing Through the Struggles. So let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, God, we are grateful. I am honored to be among people who love your word, 
who love you and, and one another, Lord, and just to be able to uh, be blessed, Lord, to spend time uh, teaching your word and, and the privilege, Lord, that you've given me uh, over these 40-plus years to be able uh, and allowed by you to do that, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that today you would fill me with your Holy Spirit to speak your word. And, Lord, that you would anoint the ears of those who hear, Lord, that they might hear what the Spirit says to each one here, Lord. And, God, that you would continue to strengthen this church. Lord, we are so thankful for what you have done over these many years. And we are looking forward as to what you're going to do because you want to do greater things. And so, God, just bless this time of study. Strengthen our faith, deepen our love. In a world that's increasingly confused and convoluted, Lord, thank you for clarity as we open your word. And so, Lord, speak to us. Now, if there's any here that have not yet given their lives to you, Lord, today I pray that you would convict them and draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Singing through the struggles, music. I love music. I was just back with the kids before, while, while you were singing in here, I was back with the kids. If I were a butterfly, you know, I, I'm back there and I'm singing those songs because I remember we used to sing them with our kids. And I, I love all kinds of music. I mean, there are, there's, there's something for everyone when it comes to music. I mean, you got country western, you got, you know, hip hop, you got jazz. You got rockabilly, you got rock and roll. I mean, there's alternative, there's the screaming stuff that I don't really care much for, but, but some people like it. And, and then there's hard rock and, and, uh, there's soul and there's funk and there's classical music. I mean, there's all styles and kinds of music. And I love that. You know, I, I, I believe our God is a God of variety. And, and, and the great thing is today, there's even in the Christian music, you, listen, there used to be just, just the old, you know, at the cross, and not that those are bad, at the cross where I first saw the light. But listen, if you don't like that style and, and, and that singing, you, you've, there's a different genre. And there's some, but you can worship the Lord, you see, in and with music, I mean, when you look at the scene in heaven, what's going on in heaven? Are they sitting around just going, well, you know, what are we going to do today? I don't think we're going to be floating on clouds with harps, you know, just, you know, that kind of a thing. But I do see this. Every time the scene is open in heaven, they're singing and praising there's the crashing of loud symbols that God is into. So somehow or another, when we get to heaven, God's going to fix all of our ears. <laughs> and we're going to all like, I'm convinced, really loud music. My wife is convinced much softer music. <laughs> but we see singing going on in heaven. You know what? That's the one art, the one thing that goes to heaven with us. It's there before us, actually. It's preceded us. And so here in our text this morning, uh, this is a song. Uh, David wrote this song. And it starts out, and he's, 
it starts out on a very initially positive note when he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. There's benefits to that. You know what they are? He goes on. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This psalm teaches us that they're singing that we as Christians, in fact, there's no other people on earth right now, even in the craziness and the chaos, that should be more joyful. Because we're seeing prophecy fulfilled right before our eyes. And, and exactly what God said, it, it, just, it just encourages us, the sovereignty of God. God is in control. He told us the end from the beginning. And so we shouldn't be walking around sour and dour and confused like, you know, many. We should be, we should be walking around singing. Now, if you listen to the news most of the time, well, you're going to be struggling. But when you think about it, the news is just fulfilling what God said would happen. And so, guess what? You can sing. We can sing through the struggles and the battles in life. We're told to be those that are singing, you see, and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. But how is it that we can sing, that we can remain singing in the struggles as well as the successes? You see, the word success, all of us, well, we like the word success, and we all want to be a success. But that word is frequently misused and abused. There are two versions or two views of success that people hold. There is success that dies with the person. And then there's a success that outlives the person. This psalm is written to show us the way to have and to be successful in a way that makes an impact beyond this life. That's what we should all desire. True success brings blessing. It makes you not only emotionally joyful presently, but guess what? We can rejoice and are joyful for all eternity. And the first five lyrics of this song, they say, how blessed is the man. Another translation, how happy is the man. This psalm is a blueprint for blessing. Someone has uh, called it God's hallway to happiness. We all want to be happy. We all want to be blessed. Well, here is what 
David lays out for us if we are going to be those who experience what God wants for us here on planet Earth. The first thing we see is there's some stuff to stay away from. The first thing is to stay away from bad company. I love the way there's a paraphrase Bible. Um, it's called, get ready, for some of you King James and, and, you know, only King James. There's just some times where a paraphrase puts it well. It's called the message, and it says, it reads like this, this verse. How well God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink around Dead End Road. And you don't go to Smart Mouth College. I, I just like it. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm from the high desert of Southern California. But I just like the way it says that. All the joys the New Living says. Now, this New Living is actually a translation. All the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or joins in with mockers. The psalmist describes three groups of people that we, if we hang out with them as our primary hang, we're in trouble. It's not good for us. It's not healthy. Who are they? Well, first of all, we see the skeptic. Secondly, we see the sinner. And thirdly, we see the scoffer. And they're all different. The first person is the skeptic. The skeptic is the person that hangs out with the ungodly. Uh, The prefix un means not. If you're ungodly, it simply means that there's no room for God in your life. I mean, the reality is, is listen, most people are really, you know, they don't hate God, okay? There may be a few out there that when you talk about God, I hate God. You know, I, I, in fact, you know what, I, I believe there is no God until they get in trouble. Until the doctor says, you know what, you only got a short time to live. Suddenly, uh, uh, let's see. You see, uh, the problem is here with this first person, is that, uh, well, there, there's, they, they don't really believe that, uh, that uh, well, I'm going to order my life according to what I want and not God. Okay? Uh, that's what it means to be ungodly. I mean, we love to quote statistics here in America, and, not, and 92% of us, According to a recent poll, believe in God, but only 64% of that 92 are convinced, which explains a lot. You see, they live their lives. They believe that there's maybe somewhere out there, somewhere over the rainbow. There's something out there. But, well, they don't really give any thought to that. We move from the skeptic who is ungodly to the sinner here that is unholy. Now, a sinner is someone who not only lives as if there's no God, but he knows he lives that way or she lives that way, and it doesn't really bother them. It's the whole Hollywood crowd, the movie makers, 
See, Hollywood not only flaunts extramarital, premarital, same-sex, sex, adhering to an anything-goes attitude, both in lifestyle and in movies, it actually brags about it and, and, and peddles it and pushes it and, and tells us this is the way you really need to live if you're going to be happy. And there's no shame. That's the, they're pushing away the shame. It's like uh, Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 30 of verse 20. It describes this in a female form when it says, um, eventually, how it, or, uh, I mean, here's how a prostitute operates. She has sex with her client, takes a bath, bath then asks, who's next? You see, she's a woman who just has sex for having sex. And when she's done, okay, let's move on to the other. You know what? It was going on in the 60s. Stephen still sang around it and sang about it. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. What he's saying is just whatever. Whoever, whenever, however, no shame. It's nothing. I mean, uh, uh, in fact, if you say it's a sin, that you're wrong in having that attitude towards sex, well, today you're on the wrong side of history. You are messed up, you see. You're out of step with the times. So we have the skeptic who's ungodly. We have the sinner who's unholy. And finally, we come to the scoffer. This is a person that's rowdy. This is the man or woman who is not only a skeptical and, and doesn't pay any attention to God, who is into sin and don't shame me and tell me it's wrong, unholy. Uh, she is or he is someone who laughs about it. They mock God. They mock the concept of anything being called sin or wrong. They make the fun of the whole concept. Proverbs 14.9 speaks of it when it says, Fools who mock at sin. Uh, Proverbs, uh, it goes on there in verse uh, 9 of, of the New Living Translation. It says, Fools make fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. You know what? If you feel guilty when you sin, you better thank God that you feel guilty when you sin. That's what Proverbs is saying. Thank God that you feel guilty. That guilt is there not, it's, it's like a red light in your car that comes on warning you that something's messed up. That guilt is there saying, hey, things are messed up. You need to f- take care of this. You need to pay attention to this. You see, guilt is given that you might go to God and ask for forgiveness for your sin and be reconciled to God. The world says, shouldn't feel guilty, shouldn't feel guilty. Bang that light out on the dashboard and everything will be fine. Well, that light's there for a reason. Guilt's there for a reason. It is to drive us to the foot of the cross where Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. And so thank God you're guilty. There's remedy for that. As you give your life to Christ, as you ask for forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
you say, well, I shouldn't hang out with these people. And I shouldn't heed their counsel. You've got to turn a deaf ear to the counsel of this world. The world is the devil's psychiatrist. And we as Christians are not to be lying on his couch. Okay? We live in a therapeutic age, don't we? Everybody, are you... Are you going to your therapist? I got my therapist. I, you know, I'm messed up mentally. I, I got mental illness, and so I'm going to my therapist. Now, listen, I'm not saying there's never a time where you don't need to see a psychiatrist. In, and I'll tell you what, it's very rare in the sense that if you aren't sleeping at night, it's hard to counsel somebody who is not sleeping because they they're all over the place emotionally. You need to go see somebody who can give you some medication to help you sleep so that you can be counseled biblically at the same time. You need not the world's counsel. You need God's counsel. You see, the Bible says that we as believers have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God. An everlasting Father who's there for us, to care for us, whose counsel alone can give us peace and his might can give us the power that we need to live properly, to have mental stability. You see, that's so important today because so many Christians turn to the world's counsel. They watch Dr. Phil all the time and, and uh, you know what, that'll mess you up. I mean, that kind of stuff, you, you need the word of God. You need to know the will of God. And there is not a problem in the Bible. There is, uh, there's not a problem that you'll ever have in your life that is not in the Bible where God has shown us how to deal with that problem. We see the wrong ways and the right ways to deal with things in the Bible. So we need to go to the wonderful counselor. I mean, why would you listen to a world full of sin advise you on how to deal with sin? Uh, you know, go to the counselor who's been divorced five times and say, oh, I'm here to counsel you on how to stay married. You know, I mean, uh, that, that's, not, that's not a good, good idea. It just doesn't make any sense. Let's go to the one who made marriage, the author of marriage. You want to know how it works? Let's go to the one who tells us how to discipline our children and how to deal with them. Look at, let's look at how he dealt with his children, how he deals, dealt with those disciples who sometimes misunderstood what he said. And sometimes, you know, they were off doing strange things and they're always bickering. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be? I'm going to. You, you know, I mean, how, how alike your kids are they? In fact, how like. Our kids are we. Sometimes it's just, you know what? Uh, when you hear your kid say a certain thing and then act a certain way, and, and you get, I can't believe they look in the mirror. It just might be. You're teaching them well how to behave in ways that aren't proper, that aren't honorable, you see. 
So, so there's a progression here. You see, uh, the, the warning is once you, once you believe in the world's words and listen to their advice and counsel, the next step is you begin to behave like them. Action always follows advice, right? I mean, that's just the truth. What will get into your head will always eventually get down to your heart. That's why you've got to guard what you put in your head. What you allow in your head. Because what you believe will ultimately affect and impact how you behave. And so if you stand around with those who give ungodly advice, the next thing you know, you know what? You're not making any progress in your walk with the Lord. You're no longer moving ahead. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're standing for the wrong things and with the wrong people. And, and uh, you know, the, you, you hang around them and you start acting like the crowd. You, you join in with the scoffers. And that's how we see this situation progressing. First of all, you seek them for advice and, and then uh, you imitate their action and then you adopt their attitude. Maybe you've had some friends who were once plugged into church and tight with the Lord. And today they're off in la-la land. You know, they're backslidden. What happened? It didn't happen overnight. To start, well, you know, God isn't quite enough. The Bible isn't enough. I need something more. I need professional counsel. You need, I need, we all need biblical counsel. So, so, you know, stay away from those that are, you know, that doesn't mean that you don't talk to them. It's just not your main source of seeking counsel, wisdom. You see, you, you need to reach out to them with the message of the gospel and, and love them, you see, like Jesus does. But if, if you really care about them, you need to point them to the word of God. Sinners need a savior. And that's why God's left us here. So first of all, if you're going to sing through the struggle, stay away from bad company. Secondly, study God's word diligently. You know what? God doesn't ever tell us to stop something without telling us what to start. So he says here in this first thing, negative stuff. Hey, don't uh, don't hang out with the ungodly and stand in the paths of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And here's what he does. Instead of hanging out and make that the main thing in his life, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. You see, the second thing here is not only stay away from bad company, but but study God's word diligently. There are a lot of people that think success is tied to the Wall Street Journal, Money Magazine, Forbes, and, and that kind of thing. Listen, success, the kind of success that I talked about in the introduction that will outlive you is not found in the Wall Street Journal, but is found in God's Word, the Bible. In fact, the Bible clearly teaches right here that God blesses a person directly in proportion to the relationship with the Word of God. You see, what the person who God blesses does, who is successful according to God's plan, is one who his delight is in the law of God. That word delight means pleasure. I believe when you're close to God, when, when you're right with God, 
Nothing will give you more pleasure than worshiping with the people of God, fellowshipping with the people of God, and reading the Word of God. That's just, that's just great stuff. One of the things I pray for regularly in my own life, in the life of my immediate family and children, and in the church family corporately, is that we would have a growing hunger for the Word of God, a growing dependency and passion for the Word of God. King David, who wrote many of the Psalms, had a literal love affair, if you would, and, and a passion for God's Word. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but, but if you ever want to read it, it would take a long time to read, but that's made evident in Psalm 119, or the longest song or a text in the Bible. And he asks a question. He starts out in verse 9 of Psalm 119, and he says, How can a young person stay pure in a perverted, messed up world today? How can a young person maintain purity? He says, by obeying the word of God. He says, I've tried hard to find you in verse 10 of the Psalm 119. Don't let me wonder from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. You having a battle with sin, man? Go to the Word of God. Hide the Word of God. Hold on to the Word of God. Open the Bible. Uh, deal with it the way Jesus dealt with it when he was tempted. Turn these rocks into a loaf of bread. You know, and Jesus said, It is written, Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, God's more important than my meal, than my breakfast, than my lunch, than my dinner. His Word is more important. That's the kind of passion he had. I praise you, O Lord, teach me your decrees. In verse 12 of Psalm 119. Verse 14, I rejoice in your laws as much as in riches. In verse 15, I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. In verse uh, 16, I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. He says again, truth in, in verse 72, truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich. That's a New Living Translation in a gold mine. I like that. But is that real? Well, I know that's theory. And uh, yes, I intellectually uh, agree with that. But is your lifestyle match what you intellectually agree with? Truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine. Oh, how I love your law, verse 97. I think about it all day long. Do you? Do I? I haven't arrived at perfection, but I'm pressing towards that mark of the high calling in Christ. I want that. He goes on, he says, I'm even wiser than my elders, for I've kept your commandments. In verse 101, I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. And so I hate every false way. Your words are so choice and tasty, I prefer them to the best home cooking. That's out of the, the um, paraphrase, Psalm 119, verse 103. 
Finally, he says, I will pant in verse 131 with open mouth because I long for your commands. Do we all have that same preference? Do we all have that same desire and dedication? That same devotion to the word of God? You see, I just want to make a statement here and then we'll move on. I think sometimes we as Christians can, can be in a dangerous place where we delight too much in the preacher of God's word rather than in God's word that the preacher preaches. Be careful. We all have clay feet. See, if you, you, I mean, uh, hey, God, God has anointed men to preach and teach the word of God, but be careful you don't, you don't begin to look and say, Hey, man, uh, this guy is, he's perfect. No, he's not. He doesn't have it any more together, most likely, than many of you. In fact, maybe even not so much as you. Don't mistake the fact of God's grace just anointing a man and using him. Making you think that he's somewhere living on another level from you because he is not. He's a man just like you, just happens to be called to that privileged place. Don't base your faith on some preacher. And it's not enough just to read the word of God. We are also told here in verse 2, and in his law he meditates day and night. There's more to the Bible than just reading or even studying it. You see, the psalmist says here, we need to meditate on it. That literally means to speak to yourself. It has overtones in the, in the Hebrew of humming. You know, just uh, you, you, you get those uh, songs every once in a while, you know, that uh, the tunes that get stuck in your mind. On the commercials, have you ever had one of those? You're watching TV and the commercial and the thing comes on like 20 times during your, you know, 30-minute show that you're watching and you just, oh, you hate that song, you know. Um, Even if you liked it once, you just, ah, shut up. I got to get something else in there, you know. I mean, it's the Pepto-Bismol commercial. When you've got heartbreak or heartburn, nausea, indigestion, upstate stomach, diarrhea, <laughs> diarrhea. That's the way it goes, rather. I mean, I, that song gets stuck in my mind and I'm just going, why? Dude, it's just, God help me. How important it is for us, like we did today. That's why it's important for us to sing worship songs and to worship the Lord and to put on, you know, worship music so that, especially the songs that are Scripture. Those are the best songs to sing, the songs that are Scripture. You see, God wants us to meditate in His Word. You say, well, Pastor, I read the Word, but I, I don't get anything out of it. May I tell you uh, why that's true for a lot of us? You see, you read it and then you forget about it because, well, for some of us, it can become. And from time to time, for all of us, it can become, if we're not careful, something just that we check 
off the list. Just our, we have a checklist, okay? I, I get up in the morning, I do my coffee, I do my oatmeal. You know what? I, I put my blueberries in it. I get my coffee. I get my uh, little, uh, my computer out, and I uh, go to my Bible program uh, through the Bible in a year thing, and I just read my a couple of uh, passages in the Old Testament. Uh, then I read my uh, passage in the New Testament, and then I read a couple of Psalms and, and a proverb, and Boom! I did it! Man, that was a lot of reading. It took me 15 minutes to do it. I got a lot of stuff going on. And you just walk away from it and you say, I did it. But did you? I mean, did you really study the Word of God? You see, often we read it to get through it rather than reading it and allowing it to get through and to live in us. Listen, I'm not saying you have to understand every little passage you read maybe that morning. But there should be something. You need to read with the attitude, with a pen and, and a piece of paper. Or if you got your computer and you can type it. And, and, and you should get something to take with you by way of something that needs to change in your life, something that you need to stop doing, something maybe that you need to start doing, uh, something that, uh, God, how do I do this? It leads you on to putting into practice what you're reading and you're feeding on the Word of God. And you walk away. Maybe one verse stuck out. Great. Write it down on a piece of paper. You're going to work. You're driving around. Put it over, not your speedometer, but your tachometer. And, and, and then memorize that passage. Meditate on that passage. You know, if you have a problem with complaining, do all things without murmuring and complaining that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, having not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know why I memorized that passage? And I can study it driving down the road because I can take it apart and just say, okay, Lord, and I can pray it in because I had a problem with complaining. I'm sure that that's unique to me. But I, I would complain. And, and how vain it is and how empty it is and how what a waste. Even if I'm doing something uh, godly, if I'm doing it with the wrong motive and attitude, uh, then you know what? I'm laboring in vain. In other words, oh, oh great. Oh, but there's no reward in heaven because of whatever I'm doing complainingly, God is not blessed by, you see, because God looks on the heart. Man sees the outside and you may cover it on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And if you don't deal with the heart of the problem, guess what? You're going to have a problem. It'll come out eventually. So stay away from bad company, number one. Study the Word of God diligently, which will enable you, thirdly and finally, to stand firmly for what is right. You see, when you do the first two things, it has an impact on your life. Here's what will happen. You will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water there, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, prosper. He prospers. Why did the psalmist compare successful people to trees? Well, think about it. A healthy tree stands firm. 
It will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. When you are planted by God, He plants you by the river of His truth. The washing of the water by the word, Ephesians says. And you will be unshakable in what you believe and therefore unwavering in how you behave. Jesus made a statement that really makes sense in this context. He says this, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. What does that mean? Well, since what Jesus said is true, so is the flip side. The plant that is uh, not planted by his father will will, will falter. Uh, but those which are planted by the father will not be uprooted. That means when a person is planted in the truth of God's word and he is chosen to abide by what God says, he or she will not have to read the latest public opinion poll. Or put his finger to the wind to find out how to function and what he believes and how he should behave. Like the politicians. Let's see what's popular. Okay, yeah, seems to be, yeah, seems to be, uh, they're changing, uh, direction here. Uh, what once was something abortion that you believed, you see, suddenly now, well, you move along and the popularity says, well, we, we believe abortion is, it should be permissible and should be sponsored. There's a politician like that who's in office right now. You might know who he is. He happens to be the president of the United States who was once very anti-abortion. But now, hey, no principles, no truth to anchor then guess what, man? It's up for grabs, whatever's popular. Love the one you're with. Whatever feels good, do it. Whatever gets me the votes. Men and women of principle are what's needed. Not men and women who are seeking to be popular. Righteous people, God's people, are not guided by polls and pundits. They're not guided by the public opinions. They're guided by principles grounded and based in the truth of God's Word, who is the same today, yesterday, and, and, and forever. Okay? He doesn't change. What was sin in the Garden of Eden? Guess what? Still sin. And listen, let me tell you this, especially you young people. If you study history you will find that the people who have truly moved this world have been those who the world could not move. That's just the reality. I mean, where would we be today were it not for the Martin Luthers? Where would we be today if it were not for the Charles Wesleys, the, the Reformers, the Spurgeons, the James Hudson Taylors, the Billy Grahams, who stood solidly and preached the gospel and read and and sought to get the Bible into the hearts and the minds of the people. How could one man impact the world and the church so radically as these men did? The reason they could move the nation 
The reason they could move the world is because they stood firm on the word of God. And like a tree, they bore fruit. One thing about a tree, they don't usually move around during the night while you're sleeping. Thank God. And if they're going to bear fruit, they got to remain in one place planted for a while. If you're digging them up and moving them around, they're not going to be a healthy tree. And the picture of a tree here, the great thing about a tree is it, you think of it as something affirm. And, and, and listen, if it's a fruit tree, it bears fruit and it provides shade from the heat. That's what we're to be like. People of the world are in the heat of the battle. Their, their lives are messed up. We need to be someone that they can come to and, and, and they can find shade and, and, and they can find refreshment. We can minister the word of God to them and tell them about the love of God and about the Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and they'll see the fruit from our lives, the kindness, the peace of God, the power of God. The Spirit of God they'll sense will be those that people will come to when they're going through the battle, when they're going through the struggles. They may mock us when we're just standing for the Lord until things fall apart. And many times, guess what? They'll come. I've seen it many times. They come to Pastor, you know what? I, I used to go here 20 years ago and I backslid and did the... Okay, and so I know I need to get things straightened out. And we're able then to share with them and show them the path you see. God loves you. God loves me. He wants us to be those whose leaves don't wither. But that is only conditioned on our being planted by the water. And, and deeply rooted in his truth, God's word. It's my prayer that that's the kind of people that we here at Calvary Chapel not only have been, but will continue to be. That in the face of the crazy times we're living in, that there would be a clarity that there would be a call to those in this community, hey, Jesus loves you. He's got a plan and purpose for you. You're a sinner on your way to hell who needs a Savior. That's, that's the key. If people are on their way to hell that you work with, the, the, your neighbors, and, and, and they need to know that they're on their way because of their sin and and listen, they're headed down the wrong path and a course to destruction. But that's the bad news. The good news is there's one who loves them, who wants to take them off that path and to bring them not only blessing presently, but life eternally through Jesus Christ. May we be those who watching over our lives and in doing what God's called us to do, staying away from bad company.
studying God's word diligently that we might stand firmly. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning and for the work of your spirit to minister your word to our hearts. And I pray now, Lord, for each one in here. Lord, for us who are believers, the church, God, that we would be the church that you've called us to be. That we would be obedient to the great commission that you've given to each one of us. And that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, telling people about a Savior. And then, Lord, to be those who are making disciples, those that uh, are new believers, those that have questions, Lord. May we be those who give answers, that we might give a reason to people who are asking those questions for the hope that lies within us, that we might study to show ourselves approved a workman not needing to be ashamed. Lord, when, when we're asked questions, when we uh, are asked why we believe or, or why does God allow this, Lord, may we be able to give solid biblical answers. God, may our devotional time be time, Lord, where we not only seek to get through your word. That's admirable and, and something that you desire for us. But Lord, may we be those who desire to... Lord, get your word through us, that it might change the way we behave because of what we believe. And Lord, I pray if there's any here that have not yet given their lives to you, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. I just wonder this morning if there's anyone here you don't know Christ and you want to know him. You're not sure today your sin is forgiven. If you died, you don't know that you have the hope of heaven. You know, you live in a very religious part of the country, but religion ain't going to take you to heaven. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ alone that can take you to heaven. So I don't want to, you know, uh, waste an opportunity. If you've not given your life to Christ, you, you may be in church for a long time, but are you in Christ? Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. If you're not sure your sin is forgiven, if you don't know that you have the hope of heaven, right now where you are, I just want you to stand to your feet. And I'm going to pray for you right where you're at. If you've come today and you don't know that your sin is forgiven, you've been hanging around with the wrong crowd, you've been headed down the wrong road, and you need today to change course. God, in His love, is calling you, anyone. Anyone, anywhere. Father, I thank you that we are among believers. And God, I pray that as we are among believers and together today, Lord, that we would go out from this place into the mission field, bringing people to you, sharing the message of the gospel, showing them by example who Jesus is. I thank you for the opportunity to share with these precious saints. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.